Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. There is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three correct answers, and you go through that doorway to the greatest little country in the world. And good morning, it's Annie. For Showreel today is the day that we have our uh, 3CR Showreel fundraiser, film fundraiser. That's tonight at uh, 7 o'clock upstairs at uh, 3CR, 21 Smith Street. So come through the side door and be part of the Fallout film fundraiser, which is on tonight. Uh, I'm going to uh, play the chat I had with the director of Fallout, uh, Lawrence Johnson, to remind you why it would be such a great idea to come and pay $10 to keep 3CR Radical Radio going. Hi, Annie. How are you doing? Yeah. G'day. Good. How are you? Oh, great, thanks. What, what attracted you to making Fallout? Um, well, I first read the novel when I was in high school in Queensland. That's on the beach. Yeah, yeah, on the beach. Um, it was written by Neville Shute. I'll, I'll sort of talk in a way because I don't assume that anyone's read On the Beach or knows what it's about. Well, it's, it's interesting that you should say that because I've met a couple of people lately who have and they said it's been absolutely terrifying. So yeah. it still has legs. Yeah. Well, I read it as a teenager, as I said, in high school because it was set on the curriculum. And um, it was a film about the it's – it's a book about the end of the world. But it's interesting because the third world is – the war is already – gone it's finished and the nuclear fallout is falling down slowly over the earth and the film is sorry the book and the film are set in melbourne and at that time it was the largest city in the southern hemisphere and so neville shoot wrote this amazing premise um of the fallout slowly coming down the earth and it's about the lives and loves of about half a dozen characters and you know it has a romance in it by um uh, a submarine captain who falls in love with a beautiful woman who's sort of a bit blousy played by ava gardner in the film version and um, when I read the novel, it was it was really frightening. It was like, it, this is set in Australia, it's about the end of the world, I'm a kid, <laughs> you know, what's the story? So it stayed with me, and then, of course, I never, ever dreamed that I would be a filmmaker. Um, and then, you know, I've done a number of projects, and then it sort of started um, getting in my craw a bit, and I was thinking about it in terms of its issues, the state of the world, and I talked to producer Peter Kaufman about it, and we developed it um, into what it is, which is essentially... The film is an exploration of Neville Shute's life, uh, his motivations to write the novel because he basically um, had been a, a, a scientist and by the time the nuclear age came, he basically wanted to warn the world of what was the impending doom, which was obviously ever, ever evidenced by the bombing of Hiroshima. And it's pretty fascinating because, of course, Neville Shute is, you'd almost say he was a conservative. Yes. He, he came from a very uh, mainstream... Uh, view of the world 
so it wasn't he wasn't being alarmist in the sense that uh, some people might dismiss in the view that uh, it's it's an emotional response. It's actually he was actually quite cerebral about it, wasn't he? Mm. The beauty of the story, the concept. And I think it's one thing that attracted Stanley Kramer, the director and producer, to make the film, is it has an amazing emotional edge. Um, like there's a couple in the novel and they basically have just had a newborn baby. And because of the state of the world, they're actually forced to kill their child. Now, you know, that's pretty full on then and now. And um, the government actually hand out suicide pills for people to line up and take so that they don't have their deaths where they're obviously uncontrollable or, you know, whatever. And... Um, you know, that was a pretty scary concept, and it still is a pretty scary concept. And I guess, like, you know, I'm not an authority on the state of the world, but things are moving in directions, as we know, this year that are quite extreme. And, you know, as people have said in the Fallout film, there is nuclear arsenal that has gone missing. Um, people have various viewpoints about that, or whatever their politics might be, what are their government or their country. Um, but it still is an incredibly hot topic, and, you know... As we see now, we have a world where people will um, strap bombs to themselves, pick up trucks and drive them into civilians, um, hack people to death on a train. Um, we didn't have that world 10, 20 years ago. We had world where people were – there were suicide bombers and there always have been, but they were more in a sort of militaristic sense, whereas we have this civilian, you know, ordinary society being affected in these ways that just have – there is really – little rhyme or reason for. Um, and again, as we know, it's coming out, they're being perpetuated by people that are part of organisations, but also people that just are simply angry about life. And, you know, it's really a horrible state of affairs in the human race that people have been reduced to feeling that they have the licence to go out and do those things. And I have to also say, while we're talking about it, that we have people like Donald Trump and Pauline Hanson who are supposed to represent a progressive society. They want to be in politics to advance our lives. And these are the lives of adults, but they're also the lives of children. And the, the things that they are now allowed to say publicly and agree with, which are just so against human life and progression, um, you know, I, I would think that every human being would like to live a happy life, not a life filled with, ma with malice and violence or unrest, you know. And it seems that um, these people now, you know, they're just allowed to run roughshod. And, of course, you know, come November, everyone's going to be very, very um, sad when the Obamas leave the White House because it's going to be a very different place. Well, it's interesting you should say that. Uh, the elements that are brought out in the Fallout film really do show some sort of connection, historical con and present-day connection to that earlier period. That film was shot in 1959, Melbourne, and it's actually quite extraordinary to see Melbourne in 1959. It's quite different from the Melbourne we see today. But, of course, all these threads that are in the film are actually still there, unresolved. Yeah. I mean, apart from the politics, I guess, coming back to um, you know the novel and the film... Um, it was an interesting process because Neville Shute had had quite a number of his books adapted into films, but he'd never really sort of – he'd sort of let people go and do their thing. You know, he wrote A Town Like Alice. He wrote a, a novel called uh, The Pied Piper that was made at Fox into a film in the early 40s with Monty Woolley and Ann Baxter. And um, But with On the Beach, it was – you know, it really was something close to his heart, and we explore that in the film. And he wasn't happy with what Stanley Kramer had done. Um, I mean, I think Stanley Kramer's work in the film is impeccable. I think it's great too. Yeah, it's a wonderful film. And Ava Gardner's beautiful in it and, 
And um, Gregory Peck, I mean, the the casting's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I you know I interviewed Gregory and, Peck, and that was fantastic for Melbourne to, and that's part of the the pleasure of this film. Yeah. Uh, uh, Melbourne really did have a love affair with those people. Yeah, well, as you know, you know, it was one of the first big Hollywood productions that came south of the equator to make um, a film in a big city, and they loved that um, you know stars came like. You know, Gregory Peck, Ava Gardner, Fred Astaire, Anthony Perkins, you know, um, and they, it was like a circus. And of course, you know, we explore some of the fanzine aspects of, you know, Ava Gardner was a good time girl. You know, she was having an affair with Frank Sinatra at the time. Um, she lived her life, life like a man, you know, she slept with whoever she wanted to and she drank and stayed up as late as she wanted to and good on her. Um, but of course, because we were so backward at that time in terms of the media, they wanted to hound her. And they just wrote horrible articles about her in The Age. Like, you know, if you think about getting up every morning to go to work, which is what she had to do because she's employed as an actress, and then you see, oh, you know, a photograph of her supposedly sort of saying, you know, she, she left um, some bar or she stayed up late or she was with somebody. And um, so, you know, Kramer, when he was making the film, was making this deeply serious film, but he also had to deal with, you know, the local sort of media um, following them around. But the film was shot, you know, in the city, on the streets. It was shot in the country. Um, Giuseppe Rotuno photographed the film in beautiful black and white. And he'd photo some, uh, photographed some films, um, neorealist films in Italy. And I believe he photographed, it, it might have been the Barefoot Contessa that um, Ava Gardner had done. And so she had brought him to the film. And Kramer made the film in black and white, whereas the Barefoot Contessa is in, in colour. Um, and, you know, I think the film's better for being in black and white in terms of subject matter because um, the black and white is very beautiful, but it's also it's quite haunting and disturbing in some imagery, particularly things like there's a section in the film where uh, Gregory Peck goes back with his submarine to San Francisco and he's married um, in the novel and the film. And so he can't really betroth himself to Ava Gardner in having an affair with her because he believes his wife and children are still alive. And, of course, he discovers that the whole Northern Hemisphere, everybody's dead. Um, and it's an amazing sequence where it goes through San Francisco Harbour and they discover a mess. they follow a message, um, and I won't spoil it, but they're basically, they really go under the sea, literally from Melbourne back to San Francisco because of this message, because they believe that there is life still in the, on the earth. Mm. Well, that you know, it's it's it, it's so it's got real echoes of uh, uh, things that we should still be quite aware of. I mean, th- with the uh, business of uh, trying to make Australia a nuclear waste dump, for example, uh, this is uh, it's important for people to continue to remember the uh, potency of this issue. Yes. Well, it's funny um, when I was making the film, and even after I'd finished the film, it was like you mentioned nuclear issues, and people just glaze over. Yeah, they think it's over. Yeah, they think it's over. They think it's too difficult. They don't think it's a possible. And, and not only that, some of the big business people are using this advertising ploy to say that it's clean energy. Yeah. Can you believe that? Yeah. It's unbelievable. I, um, I think that, you know, everyone's lives now are so fast. You know, whether you're a professional or whether you just, you know, whatever life, lifestyle you live, um, people just haven't got time for certain elements of negativity and they're only until they're confronted with them in the news and because we have social media now you know every day there's something you know if you don't hear it on the radio or you don't hear it on the news at night on television you've got facebook or other social media to follow those things and um and you know i think it's again it's like unless people are affected by it in their own place do they really realize or 
feel like they have any kind of power to have a voice to change anything, you know, or an opinion. And of course, you know, changing opinions on big topics like, you know, what we're talking about is obviously a huge thing. But um, I think people far too much now, they escape into staring at their tel- at their phone <laughs> or, oh, their, or their yeah. iPad or yeah. something, or they've got headphones on and, you know, it's a very different world. Oh, but also, uh, it's still, um, it's important for people to remember, even though messages are scattered now, uh, far less c- controlled by just broadcast media, that there is still an active crafting of the agenda going on at the same time. This is the dominant opinion about what's supposed to, we're supposed to think. So, for example, after the election we've just had, we're all, for example, supposed to worry about uh, Turnbull's government. Um, well, you know, talk to the hand. I'm not particularly... Uh, I'm not having a love affair with Turnbull's government, right? I would have preferred that it didn't get back in. Uh, but the mainstream media tells us that this is what we should be concerned about. Uh, but And when it comes to the nuclear issue, this is why I think Fallout's such a tremendous film because not only is it part of the cultural uh, world that people were living in then and now, you know, it's got fascinating elements to it, you know, this film, about Melbourne in the 1959 period, uh, the film stars that come here and the culture shock that affected them as well as the people in Melbourne, but also how important it is to locate the nuclear issue into its historical context and how it affects us now. I thought yeah. that's really fascinating. Mm. Thank you. Well, I, I, you know, one of the things that we tried to do with the film is to give it a rich narrative. You know, the story is, I think it's a fantastic story. Um, and we were able to have the screen time to chart that because, you know, as I said before, Shoot worked with, um, he created weapons early in his, in his career and then he became a novelist and he used the power of the pen, as they say, to, you know, to write this novel. And I guess a lot of people here in Melbourne probably don't know, but but Neville Shute actually came from England and he actually migrated to Australia in the 50s and brought his family here. He lived in Langwarren on a house, which then was kind of a farm, and he wrote On the Beach here in Victoria. And it's... And he was a massive... Uh, he was a millionaire. He was a millionaire writer. Yeah, he was. He was a... Well, I think they called him a gentleman farmer in the morning and then he wrote penned his novels in the afternoon into the night. And, um, you know, I just think it's, um, he's an unsung, well, I hate to say an unsung hero, but he is somebody that not many people know about, um, because he was conservative and fairly stodgy and he, his novels, are you know, they're no great flourishes, but conceptually, um, on the beach is incredible, I think. And yeah, I think know, it's had a big effect, a bigger effect uh, as people go back and uh, revisit it as well. And it's, as I said before, it's such a personal, um, the way it's personally focused on, you know, this romance between a submarine captain and this beautiful woman, uh, between, you know, a husband and wife and their child and, you know, Fred Astaire, um, whatever people think of Fred Astaire, was his first dramatic role and he had done a television piece that Stanley Kramer saw, so he thought, you know, that Mr Astaire could obviously do drama. He was a really good actor. Well, he's actually based on Neville Shute. <laughs> yeah, and because um, he's the one who is warning people about what the impending doom, um, and just sort of there's a a quiet intensity that the film has, and there's a beautiful speech that Ava Gardner has in the middle of the film where she talks about how she didn't um, 
she feels why is she blamed for what the governments have done of the world. And it's it's a beautiful scene her with her and Gregory Peck um, that kind of draws their characters together. And because it's Gregory Peck as well, and I probably said this once before, you know, one of the things I was um, in a, able to do making the film was that I met Gregory Peck and I interviewed him. And part of his interview in audio was in the film. And that was a lovely thing to do. And he talked about his um, friendship with Ava Gardner and they'd done about, I think, about four films together. And so in some ways, Kramer would have known that they were friends and that actually really added to their, their you know, being able to feel very relaxed with one another in the film and in the roles that they played. He's a very interesting fellow, isn't he, Gregory Peck? What was he like in real life? Well, he was very much like Atticus in To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, really? He's an v- extreme gentleman um, and he was very polite, very old-fashioned, very warm and very giving. Isn't that interesting? Because that's what he portrays on screen. Doesn't matter what film he's in, he's uh, the 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 uh, camera loves him, and so does the audience. Well, I have a funny little artifact. Is that um, before mobile phones? You probably remember we used to have little answering machines and with a little tiny tape, and you never got a you never got your message till the end of the day when you got home from work. And I have one where Gregory Peck called my flat. And he left a message that said, oh, hello, Mr. Johnston. It's Gregory Peck here. I'm just calling about tomorrow. And so I rang all my friends up and put my phone near my um, answering machine tape and played it and left it on about like 25 people's phones, which was really fun. Oh, it's really nice. (laughs) My name is Pat Bisk. I'm a documentary filmmaker. I've made lots of films like Rocking the Foundation, For All the World to See, Love Marriage in Kabul. Uh, and many more. Show your love. Subscribe today to 3CR. 3CR Showreel Fundraiser, Thursday the 28th of July. Fallout, stunning documentary by Lawrence Johnson, starring Gregory Peck, Ava Gardner, Neville Shute, and 1959 Melbourne during shooting of On the Beach with a side order of international fear of a nuclear holocaust. Today, every inhabitant of this planet must contemplate the day when this planet may no longer be habitable. Fallout, July the 28th, 7pm, upstairs at 3CR, 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. $10. Keep 3CR Radical Radio on the air. Neville Shoot bought the most appalling concept of all to a mainstream audience. For me, it was real, just penetrated every bone of the body. And that's why it'd be great if you came along and uh, checked out the Fallout film on tonight. The film fundraiser upstairs at 3CR, uh, 21 Smith Street in Collingwood. Uh, Cost $10. There'll be supper. Cost you $4. And uh, there'll be plenty of people here to enjoy uh, the film as well. You can come and have a look at 3CR and see what it's like. Uh, this is Showreel, our focus on Australian film. Last night I actually went to a, uh, a evening with Melissa Silverstein, who's, uh, she was actually, she's American, but uh, she's part of Women and Hollywood, which is a hugely influential site. She runs a... Uh, a, a site that um, runs a blog as well as creates uh, 
links and uh, toolbox for uh, female producers, uh, advocates and agitates for gender equality in the entertainment business. And uh, the reason for why she was here was because she was given the Natalie Miller Fellowship to further her work and she's been doing uh, talks uh, as well as, well, last night was a talk, she's going off to Sydney to follow through and uh, it's fascinating to listen to the the statistics regarding uh, women in film and in Hollywood and uh, uh, quite a few of them uh, relate to here as well of course uh, with parity in relation to uh, the amount of directors, female directors, uh, the amount of films that have females as the major protagonists, that sort of thing. It was, it's fascinating. Uh, the argument that uh, this is because uh, women don't uh, influence the uh, commercial side of the business uh, of film is uh, th- was thrown out of court in the talk because it's clear that m- actually more women go to movies than men, statistically speaking, slightly more, about 51% uh, viewings. Also, the other thing that's interesting on the business side is that uh, now Hollywood movies make more money outside America than they do inside America and will often have their uh, their uh, major nights, uh, opening nights, not in America but in other uh, foreign outside countries uh, like China or uh, England uh, and including us. Australia has uh, contributes quite a significant amount to the uh, money taken for major films coming out of Hollywood. It's really fascinating. Uh, Other things that uh, came out in the discussion uh, were things like uh, women women directors, uh, despite making uh, considerable amounts of money out of their films quite often, uh, always, almost always, in fact, are given less money uh, to make their films which is really fascinating. So uh, the return on the amount of money that a woman uh, director is given uh, for a film that's uh, a Hollywood film will return something like eight times the amount for uh, the amount that they've been given. And uh, this is, uh, it's always from a lower base. It, it, it's, there's a systemic uh, uh, chauvinism within the industry and as uh, Melissa Silverstein says that it's not just a matter of uh, fairness this is actually how our culture perceives itself when uh, one uh, half of the population aren't actually being uh, represented using their stories uh, then then there is a serious problem. And she continues to agitate. It's quite fascinating. She said that uh, the, way, the reason for why she took up the, uh, the issue was because she, her hobby is going to the movies and she got very tired of movies that didn't uh, influence, didn't uh, tell stories that she was interested in. And in fact, quite a lot of the stories that are on, and <laughs> it was quite interesting because she brought up uh, the recent film uh, uh, Batman versus Superman, which is, I'll have to say, bigger than Ben Hur. It is one of those movies that's a, a full on blockbuster, but uh, it. Um, 
a lot of reviews viewers said that uh, it was really a film made for the true devotee of uh, the genre, uh, the superhero genre. It's a, I, I mean, I saw it, and uh, it, it, you should take a pack lunch with you if you want to watch it. <laughs> but there were certain elements that were very interesting. It's not, a, it's not a complete. But she actually completely panned it. She thought. She was watching it, she, but she admits she was watching it sitting on a uh, a plane, a, a small screen. You can't watch that movie on a small screen, which is another fascinating point. Uh, there's uh, a lot of issues that are related to movies that uh, relate to how you actually watch them. But anyway, uh, she was putting if 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 she had her druthers, that movie. Someone would have sat them down and said, you've got real problems with this movie. <laughs> and it sort of uh, proves the point that uh, obviously in uh, in male hands, certain things are allowed and in female hands, apparently it's a problem. But anyway, it, it was a very interesting uh, talk and uh, lots of statistics that prove uh, that uh, the way things are at the moment in uh, Hollywood uh, needs to change, and in uh, as well as in Australian film industry, that it uh, uh, is there is not fairness. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.